0: tonight we're in isaiah chapter 13 i hope you brought your bibles it's a an awesome section of scripture and you know when you read isaiah when you read jeremiah when you read uh these different prophets man it reminds me so much it kind of like you know i think of what's going on in our nation you guys um these were uh nations like israel you know raised up by god and yet what happened was they turned their backs on the Lord and so judgment came. And we're going to see that as we go through these books. And I feel like our nation has definitely uh, turned their backs on on the Lord in so many ways. And in one sense, you know, some people have heard this. Uh, I don't know if you guys have, but um, some will compare the United States of America to Babylon. It was almost like an uh, uh, coming to a place as a nation where we are organized in our hostility towards God. You know, and you see what's going on in the schools, and you see what's going on in the government, you see the laws that are being passed uh, today on one of the local channels. Uh, they were all wearing purple in support of the LGBT um, movement. And, you know, um, now as we continue forward as a church and the government is getting more and more power, We have to be aware of this and realize basically that the day is going to come where if things continue the way they are, that the church will be persecuted even more. You know, that was another thing I was thinking about. Uh, Around the world, um, the the Christians are being persecuted. I don't know if you guys heard about what's going on in Haiti right now. Uh, 17 uh, Christian missionaries were kidnapped. And they're demanding, I guess there's these gangs in, in Haiti demanding $17 million uh, in order for them to be freed. And if not, they're going to start killing them, shooting them one by one. There's even uh, an eight-month-old uh, in the midst of that. And so, you know, things to pray for, things to fast for, things to consider. You know, sometimes people think, well, that'll never happen to our nation. Well, if we turn our backs on God, let me tell you, man, um, If he lifts up his hands of protection, anything can happen. And this is why even going through Isaiah, going through Jeremiah, uh, us really standing up even for the freedoms that we have in Christ is so important. So important, you guys. And so let's uh, ask the Lord for discernment in these things. Um, Today as we go through Isaiah 13 and 14, we're going to see how God is going to judge Babylon, how God's going to judge the world. And one of the cool things that's kind of woven into chapter 14 is how we get insight into the fall of Lucifer. And so we're going to see that today. And I think it's helpful for us to know as Christians. And so look what we read here in Isaiah 13, in verse 1. It says, The burden against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos uh, saw. And so Isaiah has this burden, right? Uh, And it's basically a heavy message. And we're going to see in this chapter and in the next that he has this prophecy against Babylon. And so the interesting thing about this, uh, it would be like someone saying, hey, just to let you know, you know, God's going to judge and they list a nation. But um, that nation hasn't even really risen to power yet. You know, I don't know if you guys can see this, but we have a graphic here that I wanted to show you Because I was just looking online. I couldn't really find anything. And I'm like, Lord, I really want to get a visual of this. And so I was able to put some things together. And this is kind of like a timeline of uh, the prophet Isaiah, prophet Jeremiah, and some of the the nations that were in power. And so you'll notice over here, you go way back to uh, uh, the nation of Assyria. They started rising in power. We're talking about being dominant in 911 BC. And they lasted all the way through 609. And so you'll see, I don't know if you guys can see from where you're at, but the little yellow box right there represents the prophet Isaiah, and he prophesied right around that time frame, 739 to 700 B.C. And so as it's, you it's reading through Isaiah, it's good to know that that was the power in those days. Now, in case you didn't know, um, Israel was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., so uh, Isaiah prophesies uh, prior to that event. But then as you continue on here, you see uh, Jeremiah is there. And it's not until um, 609 BC where Babylon actually becomes a dominant world power. Now some will call him Neo-Babylon or a new form of Babylon because they've been around, the Chaldeans have been around for a long time. But for um, Isaiah and the prophecies, notice It's 100 years before they even become a world power, and it's about 170 years before this event happens. And so that's why when you read later on in the book of Isaiah, he says, uh, who's like me? Who's the God that's able to tell the end from the beginning that's why a lot of liberal teachers or liberal theologians will say well Isaiah couldn't have written it you know it must have been someone else but we know that Jesus referred to the entire book of Isaiah uh, as to the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos and so it's interesting to me when you look at this and you kind of get an idea of the time frame and then eventually the Medo-Persians rose to power in 539 BC and Isaiah also talks about them before they rise to power, and so we're going to see it today. Um, amazing, amazing prophecies that, in one sense, you know, a lot of times people wonder, well, how do you know, you know, Christianity is true? How do you know the Bible's the Word of God? A lot of people question the Bible, but 25% of it is prophetic. In other words, they told the future uh, before it happened. 300 prophecies regarding jesus christ alone so the bible definitely proves there's no book like the bible and it tells the end you know from the beginning and so here we see it's this burden he says in verse one against babylon which isaiah the son of Amos saw and so we now enter into a section of isaiah we're going to see where he predicts the judgment of ten nations In 11 chapters, in chapters 13 through 23, we're going to see the the prediction of the judgment of Babylon and Assyria, Philistia, Moab, Syria, Ethiopia, Egypt, Edom, Arabia, and Tyre. And the amazing thing is as you go through history, you can look at each and every one of them and how they all experienced that judgment. And so those are the 10 nations. It doesn't include Israel and Judah because uh, in, in one sense, they they are gonna be judged, and Isaiah does predict it. But it's a little different because they're also going to be restored in such an incredible way. And so, you know, again, we're entering into this time. God says they're going to be judged, but why? Why does He say that? And there's probably a lot of answers. Like I said, it already is God proving that He's God because able to tell the end from the beginning. But part of the reason I think that God says, "Hey, I'm going to judge Babylon. I'm going to judge the whole wide world," is number 1 because we need to know that God is a just God. That he's a just God. It is important for us to know that. You see all the crazy things that are going on in the world, all the injustices, all the children uh that are are being, you know, hurt, I mean, in so many different ways and all the things, and you and you wonder, how could God let it all just happen? And, and it's important for us to know that he doesn't just let it all happen in the sense that eventually everyone will have to give an account for the things they've done. Either it's nailed to the cross and Jesus forgives us for it, or they will stand before God and give an account. And so, you know, it's good to know that, you know, if these guys end up killing these missionaries, God will bring it To pass, and one day there will be justice. And and so, you know, I think that's one of the reasons Isaiah talks about it. Another reason I think is just important for us to know that He's a holy God. That he's a holy God. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Galatians. You guys probably know it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6, 6 and 7. And so, you know, um, we, uh, today I was thinking, you know, as I'm reading it, I'm like, Lord, is there any sin in my life? You know, is there sins that I need to surrender to you? And I was even thinking tonight as I get the opportunity to speak to you guys You know, if there's any sin that you can't overcome, if you're here and maybe you're struggling with something, you know, maybe you're stuck in it, you need to know God's a holy God. And so my encouragement to you is to talk to somebody that they can help you. Maybe you have a drinking problem, you're watching online, or maybe you are, are struggling with pornography, or maybe it has to do with drugs, or it could be pride, it could be so many things, envy, jealousy, I mean, you name it. I mean, sin is sin, right? Maybe you're here, and, or you're watching online, and you're struggling with same-sex attraction. And, and then you realize, as we're going to read today, that God judges sin. But you can't stop, you find yourself stuck in it. And so what we find, and what I want to encourage you guys in is to reach out, man. Have somebody come alongside you and encourage you and help you and pray for you. Because we have to come to this place where we are are able to lift up clean hands and a clean heart, where we're able to be in right relationship with God because he does judge sin. And so we, we got to see this. I think that's part of the reason why God tells us that he's going to judge Babylon and all these different nations and eventually the whole wide world because number one, he's just, and then number two, he is holy. Now, as we get into this section regarding Babylon, I think it's also important to know that in one sense, the Bible is the tale of two cities. You know, we've talked about this before, you know, but um, the, the city of Babylon is mentioned 287 times in the Bible, more than any other city except one city. And you guys probably know what it is. What's the one city? Jerusalem, right? And so you go back to Genesis chapter 11 and it started with this guy He was a mighty hunter. His name is Ninrod. And in one sense, so he's kind of like iconic of evil under the influence of probably the devil himself. And they build this uh, this tower of Babel and what they're doing is this organized defiance of God. And that's what we see in the schools today. That's what we see in the legislation today. That's what we see in society today. You go to the, the universities, and what are these teachers teaching our children? Now, they've got to be strong. If they're Christians, they'll probably be okay. But if not, they'll be swept away because there is this structure, there is this agenda there is this narrative that the enemy is organizing in hostility towards God, and so Babylon it, it represents that you know we saw it there in genesis eleven and so it 's kind of like the tale of two cities. Um, one guy said this about Babylon he said that Babylon was the seat of the civilization that expressed organized hostility to god it's like the essence of evil the embodiment of cruelty the enemy of god's people it's the pagan world system in opposition to god so we're, we're going to talk about literal babylon you know the, it's a literal place a country city But it's also symbolic of Babylon overall. You guys might know when you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18, it talks about, even in the future, during the tribulation period, the ultimate judgment of commercial and religious Babylon. Okay, And so we see here, verse 1, the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, And he says in verse 2, Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Raise your voice to them. Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exaltation. In other words, God here is is wanting to make it public and he wants everybody to know and to hear that he's gathering an army, basically, right? Right? He says in verse 4, the noise of of a multitude in in the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The the Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. And they, they come from a far country, from the end of heaven. The Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. And so he's talking about the judgment of literal Babylon, 170 years at least before it happens. But there's more to it. There's more to it. This is uh, the Babylon of uh, Revelation 17 and 18. This is even Chuck Smith. If you were to listen to the last study he gave, On Isaiah 13 and 14, he was talking about how do you guys remember when we uh, went in and we fought Iraq? Do you guys remember that war? There's there's aspects of that here as well, and so when you see it, you see you know the day of the Lord. It's just this thing that God is getting us ready for. It refers to the time of God's judgment upon the wicked. David Guzik said, "The day of the Lord is an important phrase used 26 times in the Bible." It speaks not of a single day of judgment, but of the season of judgment when the Lord sets things right. And so when you're looking at this, again, literal Babylon getting conquered, but then when you see and hear the undertones as God judges the nation for its sin, we see eventually God will judge all nations. And so we have in prophecy the near fulfillment And then the ultimate fulfillment. And so we read in verse 7 it says, Therefore, all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Or, in other words, they're going to be helpless and afraid. He says in verse nine, behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in it's going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. You know, it's so cool. That when you're Christians, you know, you, you realize that Jesus has received the judgment on our behalf. You know, and so if you haven't yet received the Lord, you know, my encouragement to you is to give your life to Jesus. Because he saves us from the wrath of God, you know. But but as a Christian even, I'll be honest with you. Whenever I read like like things like this and see the way that God really feels about sin it just strikes a fear into my heart. It, it really does. I don't want to mess around. You know, I don't want to do the things that, that that men would typically do and perhaps justify, you know, Where whatever. Guys struggle with girls. They struggle with pride. You know, they struggle with whatever, money. We We struggle with lust. You know, we struggle with a lot of different things, you know, and I mean, sometimes husbands, you know, we can struggle. Maybe not treating our, our wife right, or whatever it is. The enemy throws someone in front of you, and you don't love them the way that you should. Or maybe you're, you know, you're you're distracted with things. You're not praying the way you should. There's a lot of different things that, if we let our guard down, we we won't be living the life of a Christian the way that God really wants us to. And and I know this is talking about God destroying Babylon and destroying. The ungodly and, and and the sin, but it but it shows me what he how he feels about it because sometimes I think that Christians just just this casual, you know, and and God is just saying, look at how I, how I feel about this, you know. That one day God will judge Babylon. One day God will judge the United States of America. I believe that what's going to happen is He's going to rapture us out. I think it can happen at any moment and then he's going to judge this nation because we deserve it. We deserve judgment. We see it so blatantly. You know, when you look at this right here, you even see the natural calamities. Um, They're actually supernatural, cosmic disturbances. I mean, the stars, the meteors, the sun, the moon, even the earth moving out of her place. Those were all ways of expressing the severity of devastation. Now, um, we don't know all the details of this. I do know when you read Revelation and you read, you know, it's prophecies like this, with all the smoke and all the fire, sometimes it makes it look like the sun is dim or the moon or the stars. But, but when you look at Joel chapter 2 and you look at other places, this is eventually where we're headed, you know? And so you guys know this, huh? That one day the, the sun and the moon, they're going to split. You guys know that? One day, the stars, everything, the earth, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. You know, Jesus even talked about things like this in Matthew 24, 29 through 30. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so I don't know how you feel about this. I wish I could talk to each one of you and like say, hey, how do you feel about God judging the world? You know, I, I wonder, like I wonder talking to some of the young people, how do you feel about you know, God one day judging the world and the and, and some of you are like, you know, we know the Bible. We know God's a holy God. We know we've sinned against him. We know the millions of children that have been slaughtered in an abortion. And just the way that now, you know, the, the narrative or now they're telling you that you can't tell your children, well, hey, you're a boy or you're a girl. You can't even put on the birth certificate anymore. You can't refer to individuals with uh, those types of pronouns anymore. I mean, you're, if you do, then you're bad. And so I wonder, there might be some, even in a church, a midweek service, who say, "Like, you know, God's going to judge the world. I mean, isn't that mean of the Almighty? There are some people like that. But, but understand this at the same time. Not only do we deserve it, but as God judges the world, he will create a new world he will create a new heaven and a new earth and some say maybe he'll just radically recreate the existing one we're not 100 percent sure and how that works but eventually there'll be a world where there's no need for the sun or lamps because the bible says that the lamb will be the light and so i don't know about you i love i appreciate the sun don't get me wrong you guys ever get cold and then you go out in the sun and you're like thank you lord you guys ever do that you know, that, that heat, 93 million miles away, and yet it reaches us, I think, in about eight or nine minutes. And I, so I appreciate the sun, but I would prefer the day you take the sun away and you bring me to a place where Jesus is the light everywhere. And so when you read stuff like this, that is kind of cool. You know, Revelation twenty-one, twenty-three. it says, the Lamb will be the light one day. You know, what, what do when we look at the future, we know it, right? It's so cool how God shows us these things. God will judge Babylon. God will judge the world. And it's not going to be like a contest. Look at verse 14. It shall be as the hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. Or like a sheep without a shepherd. That's what he's talking about. Every man will turn to his own people and everyone will flee to his own land and so the gazelle or the sheep they're in one sense you know defenseless animals and this will be the judgment absolutely defenseless creatures easy prey for hunters look at verse 15 as as the as the judgment comes it says everyone who is found will be thrust through and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. And that's the Medo-Persians who did eventually conquer Babylon, who will not regard silver. And as for gold, they will not delight in it. These are going to be murderers, not for money. These guys are, in one sense, sadistic soldiers who enjoy the slaughter. Now, here's the thing. You you look at this, and it's a crazy world that we live in. But Babylon, in 586 B.C., would do this to Jerusalem. Now, you fast forward to the day that it's done to them. And that's one of the things you see. You'll see that in Scripture. You'll see the justice of God. Look at verse 18, also their bows will will dash the young men to pieces, and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans, pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So remember, it's a trip, you guys. Isaiah is writing this 100 years before Babylon even rose to power and 170 years before it happens. And he's giving us details on these things. You know, he says right here at the end that, that it will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And most Bible teachers will tell you that it's not just the extent of the judgment, but it's also insinuating the extent of its evil. And that was what was going on, you guys know what was going on in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, uh the the homosexual lifestyle was so aggressive. It was this is rampant. And and I see that now. You know, I go down here to Valley Mall and they, you know, they're painting, you know, pink Um, you know crosswalks and you know these rainbow colors and it's like everybody it seems like who's in these positions of government is on board and and so you know he's talking about the judgment it's going to be like sodom and gomorrah not just to the extent of the judgment but it's a revelation of the details regarding the evil. And we see that in our nation, huh? Do you guys see it again? We love everyone, whatever you do. Don't don't misunderstand me. And uh, we know that certain people struggle with certain sins. We know that because some people are inclined like this and that. But here's the the important thing to take into consideration. Like like who who tells us what's right and wrong? Like as a guy, you know, I want to go and be with multiple women or is that okay just because I want to? No. You know, at the end of the day, God has to be God. But we see these signs, we see it in our nation, and it just seems to be like the loudest thing that the enemy's blowing. That's what our children are hearing. That's what we're seeing in Hollywood, that's what's everywhere. And what it is is a sign, again, of the judgment of God that's on its way. You know, when you look at Babylon, judged like Sodom and Gomorrah, it says here in verse 20 that it will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there, And their houses will be full of owls and ostriches will dwell there and wild goats will caper there. Um, The hyenas will howl in their citadels and jackals in their pleasant places. Her time is near to come and her days will not be prolonged. And so we see here the desolate conditions of the demolished cities described really with the lack of inhabitants replaced with um, the beasts and even all these different animals are hard to translate at times, but basically you get a visual, you get kind of like the concept of the absolute judgment. And so when you look at Babylon's history, you'll find that they were conquered relatively Easily by the Medo-Persians, but then you begin to see the decline of the nation. One person said this, when Cyrus conquered Babylon, he did not devastate the city. The walls were left standing until 518 BC and general desolation did not set in until the third century BC and Babylon gradually fell into decay and the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. Babylon became completely depopulated by the time of the Muslims' conquest in the 7th century A.D., and to this day it lies deserted. Now, we know Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild it, and there's a lot of questions as far as Iraq and how that all fits in, but we see that it did get devastated for a certain period of time. You know, when you look at this, uh, Warren Wiersbe said, in the defeat of Babylon... Isaiah saw a picture of the final day of the Lord when the world will taste the judgment of God. God is long-suffering with sinners, but there comes a time when his judgment must fall. Isaiah's message against Babylon was fulfilled, and the city and empire are no more. And so we have that in chapter 13, but then we kind of get a little bit behind the scenes Looking at Israel, looking at the enemy, look at verse 1 of Isaiah 14. It says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them, and they will cling to the house of Jacob. And then people will take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. They will take them captive whose captives they were and rule over their oppressors. And so, you know, like I said earlier, you guys, when you study the history of Israel, you'll find that Babylon uh, besieged uh, Jerusalem three times, the final time in 586 BC, and they starved him to death, and then they conquered the city, and it was just uh, millions uh, died uh, due to that siege. And so... um, when Isaiah is talking about now Babylon being conquered, it's interesting because there in verse 1, he, he says, for the Lord will have, have mercy on Jacob. You know, it wasn't until the Medo-Persians came into the picture that Israel was allowed to return to the land. And so it's an interesting thing when you look at it. And I don't know if you guys um, have read through the prophets, the prophets. Um, I pray that you will, I pray that you read through your whole Bible, because as you read through your whole Bible, one of the things you'll find is how precious Israel is, how amazing uh, Israel is, how much God loves Israel, how he has his covenant with Israel. That's why we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why the Jews, they do have a special place in our heart. That's why, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith and just amazing the way that he loved Israel and the way that he He gave them, you know, help and assistance financially. He built things over there because he saw the, the way they are favored. You know, and all these other nations, not that God doesn't love them, but because of the fact that they aren't his covenant people and they didn't express faith in him whatsoever, you know, God judges Babylon and Edom and Moab and Assyria and all these nations. But Israel, they get disciplined, but they always get restored. And that's what you see when you read through the scriptures. Though they be punished and disciplined and scattered throughout the world, God has mercy on Jacob and he still chooses Israel. And isn't it interesting? You'll see that a lot when you read the Bible, how God uses both names. Again, verse 1, for the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel. And he's going to settle them in their own land. And so um, I don't know why God does that. You would figure once he changes the name, he would use the new name or whatever. But I I think if we read just a little bit into it, we find that um, this nation that has been chosen by God, they have their, you know, their good days and their bad days, huh? Just like some of you guys, right? You maybe you have a bad day or or a good day and, you know, you're still his child. There's a days where God, in one sense, would say, hey, you're being a Jacob today, which I don't want to say anything about it. It's a great name. Jacob's a great name, but it literally means, you know, heel catcher, conniver, manipulator. Um, you know, that's me a lot of times, man, where I mess up, I mess up. But then there's those times where I do get victory, Israel, and I'm, God will call me Israel. I'm governed by God, you know, and uh The Lord here, he's just saying, you know, this nation, you guys will see it, is amazing. Now, you have to be blind. You have to be blind and like you have to have a heart of concrete so hard not to see the sign of Israel. How in 1948 they became a nation again. How in 1967 they regained Jerusalem again. That's a sign for the whole world to see. And this is kind of what we're we're reading right here. You know, Babylon's gonna get judged and God's gonna have mercy on Jacob, settle them in their own land. And it says right here that the strangers will be joined with them and they will cling to the house of Jacob. And there's different views on that. Some people believe that it means that the Gentiles, you know, they enter into the covenant and they get saved, and that's probably part of it. But then it says then the people will take them and bring them to their place and the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. And so again, maybe because of the fact that Israel becomes successful and they have employees, others believe it has something to do with what's gonna happen during the millennial kingdom. And we're gonna see you know, that Israel is raised up again. And so amazing thing. Though they be punished, God still chooses and uses Israel. You know, we see in Isaiah 60, verse 10, there's a cool verse there. It says, For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. And so God still chooses Israel. It's an amazing thing. You know, when you look at this, look at verse 3. It shall come to pass... In the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you are made to serve. And in my Bible, I underlined that whole verse. It's so beautiful. That you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, he who struck the people in wrath, with a continual stroke, and that is talking about just endless blows of rage. That was the king of the ba- of king of Babylon. That's the enemy. That's how the enemy comes against us. And I don't know if you guys ever experience it, but man, the lies just they keep coming, or whatever it might be—the trials, the difficulties. You know, probably we're going to experience it. Until we're home in heaven. It's not until then. I mean, when we get saved, we get an aspect of rest. You know, come to me, all you are weary and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. When you give your life to Christ, there's this rest. But, but one day, you know, there'll be no more enemies. And that's something that we look forward to. And what we find right here is, you know, God is just saying, this, this oppressor has ceased. What a day that will be. It says in verse 5, he who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted, verse 6, I'm sorry, and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us and again when Babylon was defeated uh, it made a difference even with the trees because Babylon was cutting them all down and building and and stuff like that and so he says there in verse 9 hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming it stirs up the dead for you all the chief ones of the earth it has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations They all shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot, is spread under you and your worms cover you. So imagine you guys for a moment, if I could just say this, what it's going to be like when you go to heaven. If you can imagine just for a second and how glorious that'll be, right? But imagine what it will be like for those who re- reject Jesus when they go to hell. Imagine what it was like when Adolf Hitler died and went to hell. See, there's degrees of reward in heaven and there's degrees of punishment in hell. Now, when the king of Babylon goes there, I mean, some say it's Nebuchadnezzar. We're not 100% sure exactly who this is in reference to. But when this king entered into hell, I mean, hell was ready. And I mean, it was just kind of like stirred everything up. Look who's coming. But it also is in reference to the day that the devil is cast into that place. Imagine that. And so, you know, uh, degrading, disgusting, and the damnable, this is uh, things that we see. But then again, like I, I mentioned earlier, the undertones, w- w- they give to us the root of this rebellion. Because look at verse 12. He says, How you are fallen from heaven. From where? From heaven. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now there are some who say, Oh, it's just talking about the king of Babylon and, and you know, that's fine, you know. But um, most of the teachers that I I, I, you know, I, I listen to and, and as I read it, I, I think it's clearly in reference to the fall of, of the devil. You know, you read Isaiah 14, you read Ezekiel 28. Those are the two main portions of the Old Testament that speak of the fall of Lucifer. Where did he come from? What was he in the beginning? And what we find when we read the Bible is that at one time he was this great um, angel, a a, a cherub. You know, you, you hear it kind of peels back the curtain as to the origin and fall of Lucifer. We now identify him as Satan or the devil or the adversary. At one time, he was this brilliant, beautiful angel. As a matter of fact, his name here means day star. And so in one sense, he was so bright, you could see him even during the day. I mean, just beautiful when you read Ezekiel 28. You know, when you read Revelation 12 and verse 4, and Revelation 12 and verse 9, what you find is when the devil fell, he drew a third of the angels with him. Now, now you might wonder, well, why did the, the devil fall? Why did he, you know, oppose Almighty God? A- and I don't know, you know, I was thinking about that today. I'm like, Lord, that's weird. I mean, you know, of course we know that everyone must be tested. Love, it has to be tested. God can't make us as robots and force us to love him. Either you, you choose to love him or you don't. And so even the angels apparently had that option. Now, I was reading one person who said that maybe uh, Lucifer found out that God was going to create these human beings in his own image and that the angels were then going to have the responsibility to go down and serve these people. And then when these people were glorified, they would actually be above the angels. Who knows? Maybe he saw the whole plan and and he didn't like it another thing that i don't know you guys know that god is awesome right but you know one thing that blows me away is that god is humble god i trip out on that i'm like lord i don't know how exactly you know everything's going to be but sometimes you get you meet people in life and they're so arrogant and they're so prideful and they're so full of themselves and you know, maybe they're, they are the greatest. Maybe they are the richest. Maybe they are the strongest. Maybe they are the most powerful. And so you just really can't do much about it. God could be that way if he wanted to, but he hasn't presented himself that way. When Jesus came, he was so humble. And so maybe the devil like kind of like misconstrued that. And he thought, you know what? I could take this guy. I could take him. I could take over, I could and that's basically what he's saying right here. Because God wasn't like this, you know, prideful I don't know, again, it's this mysterious to me, but what would get the devil thinking that he could actually be like the most high God, above the angels, sitting on the mount of the congregation, the highest hill of heaven, with all the Shekinah glory of those clouds? What what could get him there? And so you wonder, but we know it was there. And the interesting thing about it is that, you know, he was cut down and, and he proceeded to weaken the nations. And, and what we find is that the, the devil himself is the one behind Babylon. And when you look at the nations, something interesting, Daniel ten thirteen, Daniel 10, verse 20, it speaks of certain angels that actually fight um, demons who oversee nations. Remember, you guys remember when Gabriel said, hey, I have to go fight the prince of Persia or Michael's going to help me uh, fight, you know, the prince of Greece or whatever it might be. And so when you're thinking of the United States of America, when you're thinking of China, when you're thinking of different countries, you're probably thinking of someone like the devil or high-ranking demons that are actually leading them. And so we find that that was the case with Babylon. You peel it back a little bit and you find that it's the devil himself. And we find that there was something going on in his heart. Notice again what it says here in, in Isaiah chapter 14 regarding where it took place. It says in verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, you're cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations... For you have said where? In your heart. Who knows? Maybe he never even articulated it. Maybe he never even said it. But it was in his heart. Right? I mean, I don't know for sure. But it seems to say that God says, Hey, I saw what was going on in your heart. You know, it was his pride. It was his ambition. Apparently, he thought he was better than god and it was his will you know i will i will i will and we got problems with that you know i I pray that we come to a place in our life where it's like my my kingdom go thy kingdom come not my will but thy will be done you know it was his pride we know that that's the root of all sin and he basically thought if he made his move and he could ascend to the highest place. It was the same lie he told and sold Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? If you just take this, you can be like God. Uh, interesting thing, some people wonder, like, when did this happen? When did the devil fall? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, it's interesting. It says in verse 1, that In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Now that sounds kind of weird. God just made everything, and as we go on, you know, through the Book of Genesis and the creation account, everything was good. But here, it seems to something seems to happen right here. As God created the heavens and the earth, somehow the earth was without form and void and darkness. So a lot of people believe that's when the devil fell. You know, for us today. Um, I think it is important for us to know who we're dealing with. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You might get mad at your your brother or your co-worker or your boss or whoever it might be, Um, but you're not wrestling with them. You're wrestling against principalities and powers. You're wrestling against angels that are fallen. It's important for us to know what demons really are. And not only that, what we find is that one day when we're glorified, we will actually be able to look even at the devil and say, man, I can't believe this was the one who messed everything up. Notice verse 18. It says, all the the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain. Thrust through with a sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be ashamed. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers. Lest they rise up and possess the land. And fill the face of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and offspring and posterity, says the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. And so God giving us that understanding, giving to Isaiah 170 years before it happens, what would take place there in Babylon and what was behind Babylon, that it was the devil himself. He next shares the judgment on Assyria in verse 24. It says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. Notice that all God has to do is think it. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains tread him under foot; Then his yoke shall be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? And so, again, Isaiah uh, prophesying uh, 736, 740 B.C., all the way to 700, but telling us ahead of time, even the fall of Assyria. And something interesting, you guys are going to see this as we go through Isaiah, that uh, it's during uh, Hezekiah's reign where 185,000 Assyrians are surrounding Jerusalem. And you guys remember, Isaiah prayed, Hezekiah prayed, and one angel of the Lord came down, and killed 185,000 Assyrians. So again, Isaiah telling us this ahead of time, but for us as God's people, understanding that he will defeat our enemies. Next, we see the judgment on Philistia. It says in verse 28, this is the burden which came in the year that King Ahaz died, that's 716 B.C., do not rejoice, all you of Philistia, because the rod that struck you is broken. For out of the serpent's roots will come forth a viper, and its offspring will be a fiery flying serpent. You know, uh, Philistia was thinking, oh, it's cool, you know, the other nations are being defeated, even Israel and Judah were judged, and they kind of thought they were going to be okay, and God says, no, don't rejoice over that, because your day will come. It says in verse 30, the firstborn of the poor will feed and the needy will lie down in safety. I will kill your roots with famine and it will slay your remnant. Wail, O gate, cry, O city. All you of Philistia are dissolved for smoke will come from the north and no one will be alone in his appointed times. What will they answer, the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. And so if you read your Bible, you guys know this Babylon, right? There' Genesis 11, the epitome of evil, our enemy. And then you have Assyria, and they were so cruel. they were the ones that conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And then when you think of the Philistines, if you read your Bible, this is what you find out about the Philistines. They were the constant enemies. Of Israel, and not only that. When David was in power, when David was rising up, who was his his most formidable foe? It was the Philistines, and it was Goliath. And in the end, right here, what Isaiah is saying is, Israel, I know you're going to go through hard times. I know you're you're actually going to even be punished by me and disciplined. But I'm not done with you. I will, in one sense, I feel like God is saying to us tonight. I will defeat all of your enemies, every single one of them. Right there it says in verse 32 that the Lord has founded Zion and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. And when he talks about the poor of his people, he's talking about those who are poor in spirit, right? Matthew 5 and verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does that mean? That means that when I look at my life, I realize I'm a wretched man. That I realize that I'm the chief of all sinners. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm a pastor, it doesn't matter that I've been a Christian for a long time, it doesn't matter that I read my Bible. I know who I am apart from Christ. I have no righteousness of my own. I am completely bankrupt and so when you're poor in spirit when you come to that realization of who you really are then what does it do to you it 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 just drives you to jesus right i need you lord i need you lord and that's how people get saved you know when they realize man i am nothing and so it's kind of cool reading this i pray you guys um that you'd be encouraged. I I pray you know what's going on in spiritual warfare. I pray, you know, we get glimpses of Babylon, a lot of different things, but more than anything else, I pray that we would be humble and contrite and that not only would that, you know, poor in spirit, you know, be the thing that God uses to begin our Christian walk. Like if you're not a Christian, my prayer is that you would give your heart to Christ today but that it would be something that we would maintain really all the days of our lives. We need you, Lord, always.